0: You're listening to Asbury University's Chapel Podcast, recorded live from our campus in Wilmore, Kentucky. Asbury's Chapel Service hosts speakers from around the world to inspire academic excellence and spiritual vitality. We hope you enjoy today's message.
1: Good morning. Good morning, Asbury. <laughs> we open our chapel today on Engaging Culture Weekend in Highbridge. Um, there's all kinds of things going on. We've got some great seminar sessions today in Miller Center. Um, seminar sessions uh, including our guest speaker today that you'll be hearing from shortly. We have the Emerging Artist Short Play Festival going on tonight as well in the Great House Theatre at 7.30. We've got the naming ceremony for the John Decker Production Design Center in Miller Center on Saturday at 3.00. And then of course, High Bridge at 7 o'clock tomorrow. Do you have your tickets? All right. So there's a lot of culture going on, but what does it mean to engage culture and how do we do that? Um, And I think we can find some insight in uh, the wording of Psalm 40. I'm just going to read verse 1 through 3 of Psalm 40. I waited patiently for the Lord and he turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in Him. God puts a new song in my mouth. That's what stands out to me. It tells me that one of the ways we engage culture is to make more of it. So whether it's a short play, a short film, a storyboard, or even a melody. Um, It's making culture to the glory of God. So let's lift our voices to the Father this morning who delights in hearing the voices of his children.
0: Romans 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. If you all could bow your heads and pray with me. Dear Lord, I thank you so much that we get to come and enter your prayer. Headens once more. I thank you that we get to do it as a community. I thank you for being g- g- good to us, that no matter where we go and no matter where life takes us, what hits us, you're right there beside us and you give us strength. Lord, I just pray that you would be with us throughout this weekend and the rest of this Esther, I pray that you would be with the speaker and that you would speak through his words, that they would be your words, not his, and that you would open up our hearts and help us to listen. We love you, Lord, and we need you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.
2: Good morning. I'm the other Professor Gaffney, and my job today is to introduce Corey Edwards, I think we have a slide for him. It's a pretty big ask. Uh, there's a lot. I mean, he's written and directed dozens of films like Hoodwinked and Fearless. He has written for VeggieTales, created outside the box contact like Smosh.com's Crogzilla Gets a Job, or Twitter's first episodic series, Roger Cosmonkey. In fact, Corey has done too much, and I'm frankly too busy to research at all. Instead I could talk about our personal relationship. I've known Corey for two decades. Uh, We were in small group together. We prayed through each other's hard times and praised through our celebrations. I could talk about the wisdom, wit, and spiritual insight that he naturally inhabits, but like I said, I'm busy who has time for all of that. Being too busy to write an introduction, I asked myself, what would my students do? So I reached out to other people and had them write my introduction for me. Corey's son Nate, age 13, says, my dad is kind and thoughtful and is always sacrificing himself for others. He's the best dad ever. I checked and it's a scientific fact. We'll see. His other boy, Elliot, age 16, says, growing up with a dad who does stand up, I have to be careful. Everything I do is a potential bit, no pressure. My dad is fun, passionate, and devoted. He's a huge inspiration to me, and I'm sure he'll be an inspiration to you, too. I guess we'll find out. Last is Vicky, Corey's bride for the past 30 years. Corey Edwards is kind of a big deal. Yeah, sure, he's a snazzy Hollywood writer, director, and comedian, whatever. What he's really good at is diffusing arguments with humor, showing up as a dad in every way, choosing integrity over all the industry temptations, sweetly loving me when I'm messy, and wielding immense talent with sincere humility. Corey is the real deal, and I am the luckiest. I, too, am also among the luckiest because I get to call Corey friend. Please welcome today's speaker, Corey Edwards.
3: Just the sexier, skinnier picture, I always request that. Uh, boy, it's good to be here in Chapel, in Hughes Chapel. So you guys have had some pretty good chapels here lately. I mean, early February, it's pretty good. That's the last time I was here, when your chapel made the news. Uh, and. Uh, yeah, chapel's so good that I said to my wife and my two kids, who you just heard about, um, we, should, we should go there. We should, we were in Dallas, Texas. We drove 15 hours to be here, and my kids were right there, and we were up there, and it was amazing. And, uh, and that's when I, as we're driving home from this, uh, then I remembered I agreed to speak here and give a message of some kind. So the last time I was here, your chapel was like 800 hours long, and 20,000 people showed up, and now me. (laughs) The guy who uh, makes cartoon movies with talking squirrels in them. So great, great. Uh, It's a little ominous. That's what they call in uh, screenplays, raising the stakes. So, but here's what's going on with me. I just thought I would talk about what's going on with me these days. Um, I've spoken in chapels before, and I work in entertainment. I've, I've done some fun stuff in entertainment, that's why they brought me here. Um, a lot of times I speak in chapel and I say, uh, uh, I talk about you know, God being a part of your uh, uh, life so that he's part of your entertainment. When you make art, God is in it. Go out there, follow your dreams and God will bless it if you, you, know, um, you know, use uh, the messages he's put in your heart to, to take the entertainment, go, follow your dreams. Those, those are the kind of uh, chapels that I've done. Uh, But for this one, I was like, you know what? Like, can I be honest with you guys about what I'm going through? Like in the past two or three years, uh, it's been a little rough for a lot of people in entertainment. It's been a little rough for me. Um, And so, you know, when you go through things like, uh, it's not even about the pandemic, but our, our industry has just gone through some big hills and valleys lately where people don't even know what makes money anymore. Uh, People don't know if they want to go to the theaters or go uh, watch something on their TV. And so it's really upset a lot of the things that, uh, a lot of green lights I thought I was going to get that I didn't get. So it, it just has made me think about a lot of stuff like, like, what is this all about? What do I do for a living? Like, in the light of eternity, as my wife likes to say, does it mean anything? So I've been asking myself not just about what I'm doing, but how I'm doing it or why I'm doing it. And I've been asking myself that stuff. Uh, because I've been running pretty hard at this career, this big dream um, for 30 years. So I've invested so much that I've got roots pretty deep in it. Like I don't know how to do anything else. You don't want me working retail, you don't. You don't want me building anything that you live in. I just, I can't relearn anything other than what I do and and I've, I've worked really hard at it. But lately, I've been convicted to ask myself and think about like, is what I do for a living synonymous with who I am? You know, because I think as a man, that's like a man thing, I I think. I've been told by people smarter than me that men associate what they do, their work, is part of their identity. So I love movies. Like, I love movies. I love going to them. I love making them. I love talking about them. I love writing them. It's really a part of, of what I am. But I love it so much that it's dangerous, you know, because that's like... We're called to love God first. That's what I'm gonna talk about today. Uh, Putting God first, loving God first. So there are things in my heart that I love to do, and I believe that God has built me to do those things, but do I really love God first? So if you are in the arts, or if you are starting a career, I guess in anything that you really, really love, um, I hope this is for you. Because some of us have um, tent-making careers. Um, I learned the term tent maker growing up in Sunday school. You know, in Acts 18, they tell us that Paul was a tent maker by trade. Uh, that means he wasn't burning every morning to get up and make tents. He didn't want to make tents for a living. He wanted to preach the gospel. Um, but he had a job that would fund what he did for God. Um, so a lot of people have tent maker careers, and that's, that's fine. They go, they, they do their job, and then they, they witness to people, they live their life. They're being used by God in other ways. Um, so that's not what I'm talking about. If you work in the arts, like I do, um, and this may be the case for other careers too, but I'm just talking about what I do. Working in the arts, it's not just about paying the rent. It's not just about getting paid. It's coming from somewhere deep inside us. You know. So it's really a part of ourselves, this thing that we're doing for a living. Um, I've heard the phrase, die to self, a lot growing up. Die to self. That actual phrase is not in the Bible, but there are a lot of um, scriptures that are telling us to die to self, to put ourselves away. Um, like Romans 6.6, 6, Paul writes that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with. Our old self is crucified. Romans 12, which I had you guys read, which I did not know was a big verse for you guys this semester, apparently. I just picked this because that's what I wanted to talk about. So there's a little God wink Uh, In Romans 12, we're told to present our bodies as a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God. And 2 Timothy, Tim, he warns us of people who will be lovers of self. (laughs) Lovers of self. Could there be a better title for what really goes on these days out in our culture? We love ourselves. We love taking selfies. We love self-care. We love talking about ourselves on social media. Uh, our iPhone is an iPhone that we take the selfie with. So I started thinking about the word self and like, okay, well, if I'm supposed to put away myself, and this is me, what is my self? Um, and as I said earlier, I am my work. I have to admit it because my work is my art. My art is my passion. So my career and myself are tightly intertwined and that can be a problem. You know, and I, for a long time, I thought, well, that's not a problem. That's great that who I am and what I want to do for a living, and, and I, I feel like I was born to do this, you know? You may, you may feel like that. I feel like when I was six or seven years old, God kind of imprinted this blueprint on me that I would grow up to do something in entertainment, that I would uh, write and direct something, uh, that I would make things. Um, and so I'm like, well, God gave me this dream, so I'm going to run as hard as I can after it, because God gave it to me, so that, that kind of gives me the license to just go after it at all costs. And uh, the thing I started thinking about is, and this is a phrase I keep telling myself, God can give you a dream, but don't make that dream your God. (laughs) Let me say that again. God can give you a dream, but don't make that dream your God. You're like, well, Corey, that's ridiculous. I wouldn't make my dream my God. Man, it can flip really easily. It can flip and you don't even realize it's happening. I, uh, there are times in my life, uh, you know, I've been married over 25 years now, and, and there are times where I suddenly realized that my dream was kind of the other woman in my marriage. My dream, I had I starting a production company with my friends, and you put a lot of your, you invest a lot of your money, your savings, it all burns away. You put all your time into it. If you get a movie, if you get a project, you're suddenly away from your family and your wife and other focus so that you can make that thing good. And you just keep thinking, well, God gave this dream to me. God gave me these skills, but you start worshiping the skills. You start worshiping the thing you're making if you're not careful. I'm just speaking from experience. Um, And then I started to ask myself, well, what about, you know, like I grew up in Sunday school. You know, we always heard, uh, God will give me the desires of my heart. What about that, that scripture? God will give you the desires of your heart, right? So I wanna do all this stuff, so God will give it to me, right? Right? my passions, my hopes, my dreams. But what does that scripture really mean? I had an epiphany very lately. And by an epiphany, I mean my wife said, what if it means something else? That's why she's so good for me. So I'm gonna break down this verse because it has really been something I've gone back to for many, many years, since I was a kid. Uh, It's Psalm 37.4. I don't know if we're gonna put it up, but uh, we'll see. But uh, I just, I'm gonna talk about it for a beat here. the New American Standard Bible, if you're reading along. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Pretty familiar verse. And so I thought, yeah, I have desires to make movies, so he will give it to me. Um, I don't think that's what it means. First of all, that whole thing is an if-then equation. There are two parts to it, if you delight in the lord then he will give you the desires of your heart so you gotta it's not just god will give you the desires of your heart you, you have to do something first so if you delight in the lord so then i was like oh let me do something a real pastor does let me look up all the hebrew for this let's exegesis this thing exegesis by the way if there's not a christian rock band named exegesis there should be i don't even know what we're doing if that if that is not a christian rock band so, I started looking up, breaking it down. Delight in the Lord. Delight. Here's the Hebrew. V'hittineng. That's a good one. Delight. But that actual Hebrew word means, it doesn't mean, wee delight. It means um, to be soft, to be pliable, to live or spend in enjoyment of the Lord. Oh, wow. Okay. So, to be soft, to be pliable, to be molded, I guess. Uh, he will give you. The desire of your heart. What is give? In the Hebrew word vietan means to put or set something in you. So he's not just giving, here's a present. I give you this. It's I'm going to put, I'm going to set something in you. Interesting. Desire. The desires of your heart. That Hebrew word, "mashalot." I don't know if I'm pronouncing any of this right, by the way. Do not quote me on that. Desire. The desire is the request or petition, according to the Hebrew word. A request or petition. So it's not just, I want. And then heart. Lebecha, heart. That means the inner man, your mind, your will. The will you have. So, take all those Hebrew interpretations. Let's say the verse again. So if I read it again with all this translation in mind. If first we are soft and pliable to the Lord then he will put requests or petitions into our inner will. We put him first, and our concerns will become his concerns. The concerns we had before, the passions driven by us alone, will fade, and they will be secondary, if at all. So I hope you see the difference. Growing up, I was like, I have this desire, and and, and he will give it to me. No, it's if we delight in the Lord, he will put something in us that we want to do for him. It's a different exchange. And that really kind of blew my mind. Just This is like in the last month, I really looked into what that verse means. And really, it was convicted. So I wanted to talk to you guys about it. Um, so that's, I, don't, I hope you guys see the difference. Um, so when we're creating stuff, if you're an artist, if you're making something, we don't worship the creation, we worship the creator. Be careful that you don't worship the gift he gave you. We worship the giver of that gift. I hope you see that difference. Look, and and, and to ask God, to to set aside whatever you want to do and say, I want to do whatever you want to do, God. I get it. That is a scary thing to do, to really do. Because I'm always afraid he's going to like, what he wants me to do is go build houses in a village in Africa. But then if you really think through that, like, if you want something built in a village in Africa, I am the worst person to send. I will not, I do not have the skill set for that, uh, as I may have said. But if he wants me to tell a story that will bring people around the the campfire, oh, tell a story, like something that has like funny parts and scary parts and compelling parts, like you could use that? Well, that I can do. I get excited again, like there has to be a reason that since I was seven years old that I've wanted to do what I've wanted to do. He's been cultivating that in me but it's still a different equation. I have this skill set and I'm just sitting here saying, put me in coach, put me in wherever you need me. I'm not leading with my skill set as I wanna use it and then like allowing God to sidle up beside me and put himself into it. So you see the difference? And I'm only now just seeing the difference. Um, and so how does that work? How do you put God first? Well, first of all, I think you gotta stay on course. And I'm, I'm saying this to somebody who has uh, tried to do this, have this career in entertainment for 30 years. Uh, It's a daily um, effort to stay on course. Um, I I heard Amy Grant say in an interview once that her faith is hundreds of little decisions every day. It's not just one big decision and you're done. Hundreds of little decisions every day. You're navigating as you go moment to moment. And I like to wake up every morning and, and just think, you know, God help me put away myself and put on you. Put away myself. Get myself out of the way. Um, One of my favorite pastors in L.A., I lived there for for many years, uh, Pastor Mike Yearly. he would talk about how rockets shoot to the moon. When you do the moon shot, that trajectory's got to be exact. If if they're off by 1% or a fraction of a percent, just a a 1%, a thousand miles later, they're going to miss the moon. They're going to miss a whole moon if they get it wrong. So your daily trajectory has to be checked because you might not realize a little bit at a time that equation is flipping. Okay, I hope you can see that. Um, And it's tricky, this is a tricky industry because they'll do two things. This industry, this entertainment industry in general will either prey on your insecurities or they will pump up your narcissism. And you have to have a certain amount of ego to even do this business. You have to have an insane amount of optimism to walk in and pitch a movie to someone. Um, and I've pitched to all the heads of all the studios, and um, I've had some, I have some crazy stories where you just walk in and go, all right, the movie begins with, uh, okay, this is a show about, and you've got 15 minutes to do it, so you kind of have to pump yourself up, right? And that's a real dangerous place where you've you got to be walking around all day thinking, I am golden, I am the man, you need me, and here's why. Me, you know, you, you just start, you, the me show kind of starts because you got to get pumped up to pitch. I even had a manager who, uh, for many years, he would pump me up. He'd go to the meetings with me and he'd sit out in the waiting room. And um, hoodwinked, which many of you may have heard of, that was a film made by, by many people around me. My, my friends, I had two co-directors, I had two co-writers, hundreds of people working on the animation. But then they want to meet with me about a project, and so my manager's like, just remember, man. Remember when you get in there, you did it all. I'm Like, what do you mean? Like, just, they wanna talk to you, so to really make sure that you tell them that you directed it, you wrote it, you drew the storyboards, you drew all the characters. I'm like, no I didn't, you did all the voices. No I didn't, just get in there, you did it all. He's like, are you the devil? Get away from me. (laughs) Kind of, kind of. So, (laughs) that gets in your ear. And then there's the opposite of that where as i said this profession is your passions poured out onto the page onto the screen like if you write a screenplay you've worked on it six to eight months you've poured everything you got into it and then you give it to somebody and they go nah no thanks and you're like like they have rejected not just this pile of paper they've rejected me if you put all your value into the thing you're making if you worship that thing that gift Then when someone rejects that, and they will, get ready. Wow. Um, Again and again and again. You are now in another place. You're not, on the golden boy. You're like, I'm nothing. I'm valueless. I have no value. Nobody wants anything I'm selling. So it's a real yanking back and forth. And uh, by the way, if if you've been turned down lately by something you've worked really hard on, you know what else they turned down all over town? Star Wars. Rocky, uh, the usual suspects. Chris McQuarrie is on Twitter, and just last week he said, I've never sold a spec script in my life. And no one wanted the usual suspects. Uh, if you don't know the, the film, The Usual Suspects, that he went out and raised his own money for, it won the Academy Award. But nobody wanted it, so take heart, okay? Take heart. Uh, and Chris McCoury is now making every single Mission Impossible movie that comes out for the past five movies. So he's doing okay. But he took risks on himself. So no human being determines your value, right? Whether it's bad or good. God is the only one who tells you what your value is. So why would put, why would we be putting any stock into anyone else? Why would we put anything before him? if he's the guy that knows our real value. So what does that look like? Let me give you some fun stories, some pragmatic stories of what does it look like to put God first? So I'm not saying I always am on top of the mountain and I am always putting God first, that this is something I struggle with on a regular basis. But I'll tell you some, some, some good news about some times when I did put God first. Um, and they weren't easy sometimes. Uh, the first six months that my wife and I lived in LA, uh, we had nothing. And we've been up and down. Uh, highs and lows. Some people think, um, well like I'll tell you that Hoodwinked is often, uh, people say that it's one of the most, it, it might be the most profitable animated movie ever made because it was made for so little and it made so much. So people think I fly around in a solid gold helicopter. I don't. <laughs> Hills and valleys man, save that money when you make it. Save it. Um, and if you go on Box Office Mojo and look up Hoodwinked, I don't have any of that money. <laughs> the guy that invested in our, in our movie has that money. But I say that all to say first six months in, in LA, I'm just, I need some kind of job. I'm sending him out my, re- my resumes. I'm, I'm, I'm looking at Backstage West, all these trade. Ma- and then I get a call for a job. It's going to be three days on set writing. We need a writer on set. I'm like, great. What's the project? It's at the Playboy Mansion writing copy for Playboy Bunnies who sit in a hot tub while we shoot segments for the Playboy Channel. And, uh, I'm looking at the one bag of potatoes in my fridge. That's it, that's all that was in the fridge that week. And I was like, I, I am not available, I said. I knew in a second I couldn't do that. I couldn't stand before God, let alone my, my, my grandmother, uh, and say that I was working on it. How could I take that money? I knew in a second I couldn't. Um, what does it look like to put God first? Um, my son was turning three. It was gonna be a massive dinosaur birthday party. We're building a cardboard cave in the backyard The kids can go with crayons and do cave paintings. I mean, we we were building, this is when, when you have a little kid, your birthday parties are insane. I hope they are. You put everything into them. I mean, we had the backyard. We we were only starting to make stuff. Um, And that birthday party was on Saturday. But on Friday, I was still in New York, writing a movie over and over and over for Harvey Weinstein because he was not satisfied with the movie. It's a movie called Escape from Planet Earth. It wasn't The Godfather, it's a movie about aliens breaking out of Area 51. It's like, I'm not, I'm not saving lives here, but, but, but people make you think you are when you're working on a movie. So they had us locked in a hotel room, me and my co-writer and the director, just writing this movie over and over and over. It's Friday. I got a ticket to get out of there, and, and they're like, well, Harvey wants you to pitch the movie again, like for the fifth time. And he's not here till Monday. He's off doing other stuff, so you need to stay over the weekend. Just stay here. We don't want you to go anywhere. They like when writers, they just keep them like in a cage, like in a box. Like, you stay here until he gets here on Monday. And I was like, I got someplace to be. I think I might have even overshared and said, i got my kid's birthday party to be at tomorrow. And my wife's like, I need you here. I need you building that cardboard uh, cave. Like, there was a lot to do, and she was alone. And putting your family first, putting your wife first, those are godly things. I knew that was the godly thing to do. But when I said I had to leave, you would have thought I would have told all these executives for Harvey that I had uh, shot their dog or something. They were like, oh gosh, I don't, Harvey's not going to like that. They were, they were like, you are courting death right now. They, like, they really laid it on me. And I finally just stood up and I said, I don't know what came over me. Maybe it was God just going, get up. And I, I said, you know what, you guys have messed with my life. You've controlled my life for months. He can wait one week for me. He can wait. And I walked out, they thought I was going to the bathroom, but I went down to the car that was waiting for me, and I went to the airport. And my, my, my manager was texting me, like, that was awesome. <laughs> they think you're in the bathroom. I told him, Corey's gone, he's at the airport. And I was terrified. I was terrified after I did that. But you know what happened? Harvey came back and went, oh, he's coming back in a week? Great, uh, we'll do it in a week. Like, he didn't care. He didn't, all these executives heaping all this shame on me. He didn't care. He was happy for me to come back the next week. And we had a great birthday party. I'll give you one more quick story. Um, Again, uh, after Hoodwinked, I'm weighing all my options. Uh, Suddenly a lot of options are going away. I get a call and my manager says, how does this sound? Sony Pictures, $200 million movie, Sam Raimi producing. He's the Spider-Man guy. He's the Evil Dead guy, big producer. They want you to direct. They want to meet you in three days. Get out here to Sony. And I'm like, great, what is the project? And he's like, it's a fantasy kids book series. I'm sending you the galleys right now. It's called The Familiars. You know what a familiar is? That's like a, that's like a little spirit animal that accompanies a witch on their journeys. And so it was an animated movie about little talking animals, little like a cat and a dog and a lizard and a parrot. And they were all going to save their little uh, uh, their, their, their kids who were growing up to be witches and warlocks so they could make it to the big conjuring ceremony the end of the movie. Like there was nothing in it that I could say yes to. I couldn't bend this and twist this. and It, it was like witchcraft on every page. Uh, and I just, I was terrified again. I, I needed the, the job, I really did, a huge opportunity. Opportunity I've never had since, really. And uh, I just, I called my manager, I said, I, I can't do this. I, I have certain beliefs, I have a certain core belief system. He goes, yeah, yeah, it's, it's okay, it's okay. I'll just tell them you didn't respond to the material. That's the phrase you use. You don't always have to lay your faith out in front of everybody and say, look, I believe in Jesus Christ. You know, like, you don't have to say that in every Hollywood meeting. But if you say, no, I don't respond to this, they can, they can ask you later in a detailed conversation why. But um, I was so scared, they're never going to talk to me again. They're going to blackball me. And two days later, he goes, you really freaked them out when you said no. I said, what do you mean? He goes, now they want to meet with you about your own projects. They were like, well, if he doesn't want to do ours, what does he want to do? Like, this guy has standards? He told us? No? What's he all about? Everybody jumps at money. You just put money down with a box over it and you can catch a writer in Hollywood. Um, But if you have convictions, if you have standards, if God tells you, you know you can't do this. I knew I couldn't. He'll protect you. He'll give you other opportunities. So I have met with those uh, executives. I I have kind of an open door to pitch them anything uh, because it it made them respect me more. It made them value me more that I turned their material down. It made me look picky and like I had other stuff going on. I did not. (laughs) But so dying to self. I know i got to wrap this up. Um, That's what those are some examples of putting God first. But uh, basically dying to self has to mean Putting away my love of what I do, making movies. I love it so much. Put it on the altar, put it on the chopping block. That is tough, guys. If you love it so much, Uh, and say, Take it away, God, if it pulls me away from you. I will do this only with you leading me. Delight in Him first, and then He'll put some desires back in your heart in a new way. It's not, you've got delights. God, come along with me and bless this thing I'm going to do. Will you bless it? Delight in him first. Um, So I'm going to say a prayer to wrap uh, up my segment here. But when I pray, this is my prayer. This is a prayer that I am praying right now in my life, in my career. And if you're in the arts or if this hits you personally, as you close your eyes and listen to me, um, you, you say this prayer with me. Let's bow our heads, guys. God, thank you for my talents, my skills, my big dreams, but guide my dreams. Guide them and put the right dreams in my heart. Don't let me make my dreams my God, because you are my God. You are the giver. Everything else is just the gift. You are the creator, and everything else is just the creation. Help me daily to seek you first, to delight in you. Put in me the desires of my heart that I would know that they came from you. In your son Jesus, I pray. Amen.